Welcome back, Spy fans. Uh, we're here to talk about episode two of The Night Manager. If you uh, missed our last episode about episode one or have never seen the show, you might want to go back and check that out. Um, but just a quick kind of quick recap of the premise so you're not lost if you don't want to go back and listen. Uh, there's a night manager by the name of Jonathan Pine who somehow stumbles on some really disturbing information about some illegal international arms deals and is kind of uh, recruited by British intelligence to help take down um, this giant arms kingpin, uh, Richard Roper, played by Hugh Laurie. And um, our hero, who's the night manager, is played by Tom Hiddleston. Um, basically, episode two is setting up two simultaneous storylines going on. One's the process of setting up Pine to infiltrate Roper's ranks. And the other is Angela kind of, I don't know, what you call it, bolstering her ranks. You know, collect putting her ducks in a row maybe is a good way to describe it. Yeah, she's setting up her side of the op. So it, it kind of, you know, the, the episode starts out with these like gorgeous, lavish shots of Roper's boats and his property and his islands. But, you know, story-wise, we get this kind of cool little alone moment with Jed Marshall, who's uh, kind of like the main love interest at this point. Um, or he's, he's Roper's main squeeze. Uh, I'm not sure if they're married, but I know it's their son that she's taking care of. Not not married. And it's kind of weird. Kind of weird. She actually refers to him by his last name. She calls him Roper. She doesn't call him Richard or, or Dickie. Oh, well, there goes more with the nicknames. I, I guess it's just a, a, a fun circle to be in. Everybody's got a nickname, right? Um, but we see her have like kind of this internal conflict. Uh, she gets on a phone call with her mom and they're talking about a boy and I guess she's been sending money and the mom's asking her questions and, you know, they have a little fight and the mom just basically calls her a whore. So that's kind of how we set up this episode is clearly not everything's like hunky dory on uh, team Roper. Um, yeah. I noticed that, that little, uh, what I'd call like the C story maybe um isn't isn't gonna isn't gonna come back into play here so it's just got to be set up for something later in the series right i I just thought it was like a little interesting that's how they opened and we're yeah it's definitely set up for later like you're saying but it was like uh it kind of hooks you before we even get down the road to everything else um but that's what kind of leads into the flashback story uh, there's a they they all go to like this lavish dinner and there's two kidnappers that grab Roper's son and want money and they're gonna take him and we get this giant flashback uh, of Angela basically recruiting uh, Pine um, and this is kind of where I wanted to start uh, like you know really sinking our teeth in because we ended last episode talking about the recruitment and how we felt about you know, the motivations that Pine might have had and how Angela played on them. And I think it there was some really hefty language where she actually gets, like, you know, the close of the sale, so to speak. You know, she she's like, she found a book that was his dad's, you know, and starts messing with it. She She's like, look, you know what? You need to do this. You got to nail this guy for Sophie. You got to nail him for your country. And you got to nail it for the man that owned that book, which it's like his dad's book. So it was like very personal for him. And, and and she's like, you know what? There's like half a psychopath lurking in there, Jonathan. I want you to find him and stick to him. And it's like very like 
big appeal to the ethos and the pathos of of Pine here. And I don't know, since we until we ended the episode last time, what do you what do you think? Do you think this really got to Pine from what we've been told? Do you, like, is it believable to you? Um, I think I think it's fully believable. I still have this problem with the just the Switzerland encounter that we had in episode one. He's got he's got everything that she needs mm-hmm. uh, to be an agent. He had everything she needed for him to be the right guy for this job the day before he met Roper in Switzerland. Nothing has changed really by the fact of him meeting Roper in Switzerland, except, well, I suppose, I mean, what I'm trying to say is like, she could have tracked him down. In this case, she waited for him to call her number back right. uh, after having met Roper again in Switzerland. But uh, you see what I'm saying? Like, like she could have nothing, nothing really changed except maybe, you know, cause on his own initiative, he did this own his own little uh, crazy stuff with um, stealing some SIM cards, some mm-hmm. old ones, some trashed ones, and also writing down the numbers of some new ones and and providing that information. Uh, so maybe that was what was supposed to be the connective tissue of her making the final click of, oh, this guy has got some moves. Yeah. And that's, just that's what using initiative, is, right? They, they didn't, they didn't paint it on the board exactly the way I wanted would have wanted, but I guess that that's what's in their heads. I right. I can see that's what's in the writers' heads. I I didn't see it on screen, but I I can take it. Yeah, you know, I, I feel you. Like it was kind of rushed, but you know, the, the, that's just the beginning of the story. I'm guessing is we got a lot more coming. They had to get from A to B. But yeah, I think you're right. I think the real connection is, you know, he's ex-military. He clearly cares about right and wrong. He has a motivation to get revenge. And he, on his own initiative, called her. So it shows that he's somebody that, like, is, is that could be trusted, quote-unquote, I guess. I don't know. Um, but regardless, he, he's recruited. He agrees. Uh, and her plan is he's basically going to, she's going to turn him into a criminal. Uh, the idea is he's first going to start by stealing money from the Swiss hotel, then fleeing town. And she's going to give him a couple fake identities and set him up in this really small town. And he's just going to pretend to be like, you know, like a James Dean rebel riding around on a motorcycle, wearing leather jackets, beating up the local drug dealer to set up his own drug deals, fucking like the landlord's daughter, you know, like, like left and right, just playing the bad boy. Um, and the, and, uh, and eventually he murders someone. So, uh, this, this well, is they, kind of, uh, they, they staged that, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I presume. They, they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's definitely something I want to touch on real, like in a little bit, but I just wanted to run through her like plan. Um, after those steps are completed, she then like issues an international arrest warrant for him. And all of these things are going to be down in police rec- like records and data files for Roper to find. And this is like setting the stage for the recruitment. Um, they, they, that, did, they, did, the- they did screw up one thing there. Uh, she, oh, what was that? Uh, she waited until uh, Pine had been taken to 
uh, Roper's Spanish villa to put out the international arrest warrant. She should have done that right away. Right. Because when you look into it and, you know, you look at the records and you find out this arrest warrant was put out, it's going to look super suspicious that it was put out the day after the guy showed up at your house. Yeah, right. So, yep. Yeah. I'm not I'm not missing any of these. I'm the I'm the no, goal, that's... I'm the goalie. I'm the goalie. Yeah. <laughs> Blocking all shots here. Right. Uh, but um th- that's the general plan is setting up this like I don't take I don't follow by the rules. I do what I want. You know, rules don't apply to me. I'm a badass. I start I start busting noses if I don't get my way. You know, and, and it, the, the idea is Roper has got such large reach, he would find these records and they have to be legitimate. Um, and uh, well, talk to me, talk to me about the language that she uses to prepare him for his role. Oh, they, like just kind of what I described. She, she was like, look, the law doesn't apply to Roper. He doesn't apply to you. You have to be the number two worst person in the world, you know, because he can only be number one, you know, Uh type of thing it's it's she and, and like i said the, there's a half a psychopath lurking in there and i need you to find him and stick to him type that's, of a, thing. that's it, a great line it's a great line such a great line i such want you to scare line. the shit out of everyone including me oh that's right that was such a good line too oh yeah including me i want to be so panicked about you and you're going to be terrified for your life every day for the for the next like five ten years or whatever but we're going to nail this bastard you know like yeah it's it's pretty intense and really fun to watch um but uh you know like i did uh now that we kind of went over the overview i kind of wanted to like talk about the town that he's staying in and you know it's pretty quick that they brushed over but there's a lot of interesting setups. Like he's going out of his way to to show that he's like the badass and he doesn't fuck with anybody. And then they stage a death. Like, do you think like there's people just out there that are like, yeah, I'll die? No, I mean, yeah, it's clearly staged, and the police have to be in on it. Oh, oh, I, mean, I they, see. They kind of have to be, right? I can't. Well, I can't you- figure out any way. And that's exposure. Uh, well, that's what that's what I'm thinking. I'm wondering if I I wasn't sure if he actually killed the guy because the guy says I'm expecting a lavish funeral. So so I'm wondering if they just found a guy that was like, yeah, I'm happy to die, no problem. I, nah, I don't I don't believe that for a second. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, we it was really confusing. We never see the body. Right. Uh, we never see we never see any characters that you know claim to have seen the body. Uh. So yeah, I mean, I think well, I I think I think the police have to have been in on it. And again, like I said, like that's kind of ex- exposure. Mm-hmm. Um as in, you know, like uh we have like uh movies like The Departed where like they they get the situation they're going to get Leo Caps in there and like only two people on God's green earth are even going to know that he's a plant. Uh-huh. But in this case, like it's it's a little more realistically, like quite a few more people have to be in on the in on the gig. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's brushed over. It's a concern for me, but you know, it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't detract from the enjoyment of the show. Uh, right. I'm just saying, if you think about it, 
unless like you said, like unless like you said, they found an actual suicidal guy. But that that I I just don't buy that for a second. Right, I was confused, and it kind of was brushed over. But whatever, we 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 get there. He flees to Spain for the big plan on how he's going to get recruited. They're going to stage a kidnapping. You know, we talked about a kidnapping earlier. Uh, she reaches out to a friend from the U.S. to get some agents that'll pretend to ki- be kidnapped and then r- rough each other up so that he saves the kid's life. Um, uh, he wants it to be super real, so he breaks one of the guy's arms, which pisses off the other guy. And he was like, you weren't supposed to hurt him. He's like, it's got to be real. He's like, I'll show you real. They basically like, beat his face in with like a pot. You know what I mean? Um, and saving the boy's life is what kind of gets Roper's attention. Um, I I don't know. Like you were saying, like the arrest warrant is, is going to raise some red flags for you. Like you just gotten a warrant out for your arrest yesterday when you just started the job here in Spain. I don't, I don't know how much time has passed since the small town in Spain, but yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a little contrived, especially since the boy heard uh, the guy say you weren't supposed to hurt him. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's going to come up later. Ooh, but... Wait. Oh, no. The boy goes first. He he's tells well, the no, boy. He nah. says, go go to your mom. And and then he breaks the guy's arm. And, and as the kid's leaving out, the guy says, you weren't supposed to hurt him. And then, and then he says, it, "It's got to look real." I'm not. So I'm, I'm not too worried. I mean, it's a good, it's a good flag, but uh, I'm not too worried about it. The kid's scared out of his mind, right? And he's pretty young. What are we talking about? Five, maybe, maybe six, something like that. He could be. I mean, he could, it, he could be seven. He could be seven or eight. He, I don't. He was I don't, a little flirtatious with his mom. You know, I don't, he I don't, how to play. I don't want to give right? wine. I don't. I don't want to give wine to a five-year-old. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> yeah um well th- this gets him in the doors and roper is going to take good care of him but he's still suspecting him and makes uh he's got him on guard but he's also got like great doctors taking care of him um there's not a whole lot other than like setting up the story of like we're gonna find out who you really are you know but uh, what I did like is when he's kind of conscious and he's talking to Corky, he's like, I very much would like to leave. Like, he's he's not trying to play the, hey, can I work with you guys? He's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. I don't want to be here. You know, I'm sorry I caused you trouble. I'm glad your boy's all right. But, hey, I got to get the fuck out of Dodge. You know what I mean? And I, I, liked, I liked that play. I thought that was uh, really well done on his part, especially after – taking severe brain damage. (laughs) Uh, uh, But one thing I wasn't sure, did did you catch like the really buff, like, you know, the heavy talking about putting fizzy drink in people's noses would like get them to talk. Have you ever heard of that? I've never heard of that. Well, I I mean, it's, it sounds like waterboarding with soda water to me. Right. Uh, Which, which sounds like, (laughs) I don't know the bubbles. No, the bubbles. I can't handle the bubbles. Um, you everything. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounds way worse than than using normal water to me. Um, yeah, it sounds worse, but I'm not. I've I've never heard that, and I thought that was kind of weird. But maybe it's a thing. Maybe. Um, but it's pretty much the story. Like we don't get a whole ton of tradecraft other than this big ruse that Angela, like the mastermind, plans out and like gets her boy in. You know, 
Um, but on her side, she's kind of setting the stage for her kind of situation. She cannot have MI6 find anything about this because she's pretty sure about the leak. Because as we know from episode one, there's a leak somewhere because Roper caught wind of the operation and pulled out of the deal with Hamid. So she's like pretty much on her own. And she's only running like a small type of organization or something. Um, but uh, so she, I guess she had an old friend from America. Was he, is he named CIA or we just assume? By the way, he's a repeat. He was in Pine Gap. Yeah, no, that was Steve Toussaint. Different dude. Oh, he had the exact same presence and talked the exact same way and had a very similar head. You know, the big like giveaway face. to me, though, is like he didn't have uh, our guy from Pine Gap didn't have Vulcan ears. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no, no, it's not Pine Gap. I'm sorry. It's Homeland. I was watching that around the same time we were watching Pine Gap. Sorry. Okay, right. Uh, right. I look like a fool, but whatever. It's fine. This is, this is how things go here. I'm surprised like a... <laughs> no, he's on Homeland. He's one of the top head dudes in the CIA. Yeah, I Homeland. see him. Dave, David Harewood. At some point in this series, uh, he gets knocked down a notch to oh, his, his old ATF desk. Mm. I see. I see. Um, well, uh, where, where, whatever uh, department he's from... He, they introduced him with this like enforcer exploiter speech. And I kind of wanted to get your uh, take on this because usually, especially like when, when we talked about uh, a most wanted man, you know, usually you want to exploit the bad guys. You don't want to like get rid of them because they'll just get replaced by another bad guy. And if you, if you take advantage of the bad guy or watch them or let them know that you found them and then use them, you can get a lot more information and climb up the ladder. His speech is like, no, I'm more of an enforcer you got to get them right away because if you start exploiting the lines start blurring and they start becoming your friends and you're not really a good guy anymore. You're not really doing the world any good by not stopping the crime. You know, uh, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on this? Other than it was obviously a setup to, to, for Angela, who's obviously like, we got to get this guy, you know? Uh, but yeah. What, what do you think? I mean, it's certainly a good point. I feel like I've seen it explored better in movies like The Departed and Sicario uh-huh. uh, than it is here. Right. Um, here, it just kind of sounds like a, a pretty speech. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, you know, what is he talking about? Like, let's not, ex- I don't know. I mean, let's not exploit Roper. Let's put him away. Roper seems like pretty high up the chain. I don't think that should be a discussion. Um, (laughs) but we're going to find out. I mean, we, we have been given the hints that there are leaks in the British intelligence service that are feeding information to Roper. Uh, you know, we've been given the strong hints, so we should be on the lookout for that. So in a way it feels like his speech to the guys is kind of like the writer talking to the audience. Mm -hmm as opposed to uh, a character talking to a character, but I mean, it gives them some interesting stuff to say. That's all I, that's all I really have to say about it personally. Yeah, it was, it's kind of like the first time I've seen something like that in a spy film where it's like, we're just going to go in and get the guy. Like you usually have like some sort of like chain of exploitation to get to the big honcho, but he's like, no, we're going to 
pin this guy and we're going to take him in. Well, uh, actually, right actually, in. no, I quibble with that because actually I think we have seen and we've given minus spy points uh, to a lot of films where the move was to just like immediately pounce on someone that really just could have been a really valuable source of even if not turning and exploiting them, but simply exploiting them by feeding disinformation. Right. I can't think of any examples right off the top of my head right now, but I know that I've given minus spy points to behavior like that in the past. Well, definitely enemy of the state, but I'm saying like, it wasn't like uh, an ideal or it's like when there's like those big, you know, uh, exposition moments where they talk about their strategy type of thing. You never hear someone talk about being the enforcer like that, but we like one of the examples was any, that you're talking about was Enemy of the State, where John Voight is just going in guns a blazing to like try and pressure Will Smith, but he could have just watched him for like a couple of weeks and figured out a bunch of shit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you're right. We definitely did kind of catch some people making bad moves like that. Um, but uh, but. Anyway, I would say I would say it's a it's a tricky decision that you need to make case by case instead of having a a set in stone philosophy. That's a good point. Yeah, you got to adapt. That's where I that's where I would go with that. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, maybe kind of weigh the risks and the benefits. Do a little prisoner's dilemma guesswork or something. See see what you know. One of those uh, matrix um, analysis chart type of things. but anyway, she she calls her. They they they're obviously good buddies from way back. She's like, I need a. Oh, good I think they. I think they were with money. I think they were. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Especially with his surprise about the baby. Um, absolutely, I I just didn't want to be like, yeah, they were fucking. Uh, uh, but she needs his money because he's U.S. You know, and U.S. has like huge pockets. But I think the best move that they made. Um, they go back in and he's asking, they go, they actually go to MI6 and put on this like whole performance. Uh, like he's asking for their help. He's asking for budget and resources. And he's like, yeah, we got these pictures. He's meeting with people and we think he's doing this. He's like, well, did, did anybody say that? Did you have a mic? No, we couldn't get a mic on him. Okay. So do you have somebody on the inside? No, not yet. And they're like, so you have nothing. The guy could just be talking about his kids and about what he's doing. You know, the next time he's in the Bahamas. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure. No, no, no. We're not working on this. We're not spending budget on a like maybe when he's probably just hanging out with buddies. And the whole point was to 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 uh, throw off the scent that they have anybody on Roper because they definitely have a guy right up Roper's ass. And and uh, I love that line that uh, Angela says. It's like I never thought I'd see an American who could look like a bloody loser. And it, it was it was great. Because th- there's obviously a leak. So what are they going to do? They're going to spread some misinformation that, no, we don't have anybody. We're actually running we're running around chasing our tail, like not doing anything. And, and I, I thought that was well played. Yeah, very much so. Like it's a it's a it's a nice performance and it and it uh, presents some story opportunities to to present us to some characters that are going to become more important later in the story. Absolutely. I mean, if, as an audience member, if you're, if you're putting those kind of glasses on and, and starting to look for the mole, uh, you know, some prime candidates have already jumped to the fore. 
of the suspect. Oh, yes. At this Absolutely. Um, did you have any other points that you wanted to go over? Because that's kind of like the gist of the episode. Yeah, I've got a handful. I've got a handful. Oh, wonderful. Let's hear them. Um, I mean, it's, it's pointed out to us here again uh, that Roper is provably demonstrably by paperwork connected to iron last and that had a list of the weapons on it so i'm confused why they act like they have nothing on him um (laughs) they have now in the in the last part of the first episode that's where uh corky uh that's uh tom played by tom hollander he's uh his role in the crew is slightly undefined but uh head of uh asking questions <laughs> uh seems to be his thing um you know we know that he made some phone calls that maybe he shouldn't have from switzerland before they switched sim cards but uh archive pine he got his hands on both the old sim cards and the serial numbers of the new ones uh we will see that angela burr can present to i forget if it's to her flunky or to her american friend uh you know uh logs of phone calls Uh that uh that corky made in switzerland um i'm not sure like I'm not sure what, where she got the, or where, if that was from the old SIM cards or from the new ones. Was the, did the new, the information of the uh, serial numbers of the new SIM cards give Angela anything that she didn't have before? It's very unclear to me. Um, oh, I, I think the, the, when he gave her the SIM cards, he gave her the physical ones and then wrote down the numbers of the new ones. That was the list. So I think, she used that and gave that to the U.S. guy, um, and they were able to, I guess, listen in on the conversation. So my problem is, like, so if with that information in hand, why weren't they able to listen into all of Roper's crew, their his entire crew's conversations all the way through? Well, oh, that's right, because the Switzerland meeting was over by the time... Right. He, he delivered the cards, but okay. But still like, I, I just was confused. Like where she's getting that information. They also have a tap on Corky's phone in current day when, uh, you know, they have, uh, recovered the quote unquote hero, uh, uh, Quince pine, whatever is, uh, Linda. uh, Lin- Linden. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, he goes through a lot of names in this episode for sure. Um so when he's calling around uh doing his, when Corky is doing his investigation on the phone, they're able to tell who he called and what he asked about. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I was under the impression that they didn't have this kind of access to the phone conversations that Roper's crew is making. Like if they have that, why don't they have more? Right. Um, 
that's a good point. They would be able to, if they can listen into those conversations, they should be able to listen into more. Um, I'm guessing that they had that access through the numbers that uh, Pine had given them. But uh, for your point of, if they had the documents, she turned those over to MI6. And then her supervisor was like, there is another angle. We use him so that we can watch him rather than scare him away and have someone worse take over, you know, uh, the whole exploit concept. Um, so I, I, I think that's what, even though they have the financial documents that obviously show Iron Last is arms dealing, um, I'm not sure that, I, I don't know that she can do anything until they get something more concrete. I don't, I don't know, I, 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 but that is a good point. That is pretty incriminating information, but I guess to, uh, to kind of defend the show, they did have that in episode one where she handed over the documents and then they were like, yeah, we're not going to do anything about it. We're going to have a meeting. And then the meeting was canceled. So I, I'm guessing we're supposed to believe there's too much red tape for anything to get done yet. Oh, right. On the, on the, in London. Right. Exactly. Right, which looks uh, super suspicious to her. I'm still on these SIM cards, though. Because, um, <laughs> you know, what I was saying a minute ago about, like, well, she didn't ha- get the serial numbers of the SIM cards until after the Switzerland meeting, whatever it was, had taken mm-hmm. place. But he used the, you know, the Roper used the code word. He's always, basically, his habit is to uh, uh, use the the code name... Uh, there's a better word for what I'm trying to say, but, um, you know, to talk about agricultural equipment when he really means weapons. Right. And we know he was talking about combine harvesters in Switzerland, which, again, is codenamed for weapons. So even if she got the those serial numbers later, like those phone records still exist and she would have been able to go in and see what every because it seemed like there were enough SIM cards for every person in Roper's crew. Right. Right. So yeah. she has all that information. She has all of that information about all the phone calls that they made in Switzerland. And and after. And well, sort of and after, because like, again, like I said, like if Roper is smart enough to say, hey, look, when we do the deal in Switzerland, we're going to burn all our old SIM cards. We're going to get a whole new set just for this deal. Then by logic they would have burned that set as well after switzerland this is six months later tom hollander's corky guy can't still be using the same sim card at that point can't right you you, yeah if they if they're that careful that they're swapping out sim cards every meeting this would have been post spain meeting right and there's a kidnapping you would swap out your sim cards so so you're right how do they have access Listen, I like the show. Uh, I'm just, I'm just saying that I can see that they, uh, the show is letting them have the information the show wants them to have, right? Without letting them have the information the story doesn't want them to have, and it doesn't actually like super add up. Like why, right. <laughs> you know why why they can tap this phone at this time but not the other phones at other times or check those records, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. That's all I have to say about it. Like the A story to me in this episode is setting up his backstory, and it's very mm-hmm. elaborate, and it's the first time that we've gotten to see this much work 
put into creating a backstory because movies are too short to do this kind of work, yeah. you know, to spend this kind of time. Um, so even if I did have like some quibbles with it, uh, it's, it's really nice to see. Absolutely. Yeah. We probably um, would have gotten like a montage and then moved on <laughs> if, if this was a feature. You know, the fact that he's had three identities that they know of, you know, uh, by the time they get their hands on him is played as an as a strength instead of a weakness, which mm-hmm. is ingenious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it looks super suspicious, but they're trying to paint him as like this. I don't follow any rules. I do what I do and I'll and I'll survive. You know, I know how to survive out there and uh, and cover my tracks type of thing. Um, right. It also makes Roper feel superior because he's able to find all that out and figure out about him. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like the you know, whenever you're conning someone, the most important like number one rule is that they always have to feel like they're conning you. Yeah. <laughs> they always have to feel like they're outsmarting you. Um, right. It doesn't. It doesn't work any other way. You gotta um, build that confidence. <laughs> right, yeah. Well that's what con is, you know, it's confidence, yeah. man. Yeah. Um so this is gonna be a jump ahead. We we did talk about like how you know he's insisting on I I would like to leave. Uh I'm not happy to be here. Uh okay, I got two quick things on that. One of them is jumping ahead a little. One is like he he forgot to evince any surprise on his part of like what the fuck? You guys are the people from Switzerland? What the hell's going uh, on here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't think of that. No, that's a really good catch. You'd think, be like, how the fuck did you guys get here? Right. It, makes, I, it looks the end, really by, suspicious. By, it's at the very end of this episode is when Hugh Laurie walks in. But up until now, like maybe he just would have at least pretended to recognize Tom Hollander from uh-huh. Switzerland. And be right. a little and act a little weirded out by that. Right. <laughs> That's definitely a good point. I did not think about that. The other thing is, I was thinking, and this is this is jumping ahead to the next episode, but I don't want to forget it. Uh I think the the big dick energy play on his part would be to somehow say you owe me a hundred grand, motherfucker. Hey, yeah. <laughs> like that would be, you know, obviously you'd have to have some setup of how does he know? What was the situation? What was the ransom, et cetera. But like, just throw that a little in the conversation. And if he can find out that, you know, like Hugh Laurie is like, thank you for saving my son's life. If I want to play the real second worst person in the world, right. I'm going to be like, fuck your son. I saved you a hundred grand. Why right. don't you? Why don't you pay why don't you me? Give me fifty. Why don't you give pay me, me? No, fuck, fuck that, dude. Fifty is what like the the hundredth worst person in the world asks for. Yeah, second, right. second, dude, second worst person in the world asks for a hundred. Right. And 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 also like yeah, send me on my way. Oh, I saved your son. That's at least worth a hundred. You were gonna pay a hundred. I saved his life. 
he, he, I, I at least owed a hundred and then the negotiation began. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, great episode. Uh, we're finally going to get to see uh, Hugh Laurie and Hiddleston share some, you know, genuine screen time in, yeah. in the next episode. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun. Like we only got like a little taste and uh, that's our big cliffhanger. We'll find out who you are, you know? Uh, so I, I, I'm excited for the next episode. Oh yeah. So far, so far the, the show is uh two for two on, mm-hmm. on excellent cliffhanger lines. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> let's see. Right? If, let's see if they can keep that, uh, keep that streak going. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We'll, well see, see you guys in a week. Yeah, that's that's the Night Manager episode two. Join us next week for Night Manager episode three. And uh, give us a like and a follow on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, we'll see you next week. The preceding transmission sampled this song, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net.